I think being an Arab background, especially in our sport, people underestimate us in a big way. My goal is that people would see me there and truly believe we belong there, the whole team. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Abtal, a podcast series from the National News dedicated to Arab athletes and their respective journeys towards the Paris 2024 Olympics. I'm your host, Rima Bullil, and today I am joined by Emirati show jumper Abdullah Al-Marri, who is a popular figure in the equestrian scene across the region and beyond, and a recent individual bronze medalist and team silver medalist at the Asian Games in Hangzhou. A multiple-time Grand Prix winner, Abdullah was part of a group of show jumpers that made history for the UAE last year, when they secured qualification for the Olympics as a team for the very first time. Abdullah lives and breathes the sport and typically spends 10 hours a day riding and being around horses. He also trains young riders, thanks to the wealth of experience he has accumulated over the years. Show jumping is one of the most aesthetically pleasing disciplines to watch at the Olympics, and equestrian is the only sport at the Games that features the men and women competing side by side in the same event. Abdullah shares what it's like to jump the height of an adult human being on top of a 600-kilogram horse, and what it takes for a rider to master the necessary cross-species communication with his animal in and out of competition. He explains all the unique aspects and mental challenges faced in show jumping and how the UAE managed to land team qualification for the Olympics. Abdullah, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. It's been quite a while since we've actually spoken to each other. I think I... I don't even remember when was the first time I met you, but I feel like it's at least like 11 years or something. Yeah, for sure. And I remember driving to, what was the place in the middle of the desert? Bebel Shams? Yeah, we called Bebel Shams the hotel, but Emirates Questioning Center. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I would drive there. And I remember the first time I tried to drive there and I felt like it was in the middle of nowhere, but it was beautiful. And I just kept coming back. <laughs> so I'm really happy to, that you're joining me and thanks so much. Pleasure is my dream, Allah, and it's a thing I've been excited about once you we spoke about it, and hopefully, and it's an interesting conversation, and I'm looking forward to it. First of all, UAE made history actually in February because you guys qualified in show jumping as a team for the first time to the Olympic Games, and I know that I've been to those qualifiers. I came once in Doha at Al Shakab. And, and I know how competitive it is because the region has so many good teams. You're competing against other teams from the MENA region. And talk to me about how significant it was to pull off that qualification and walk me, take me back to that event in Feb. And how did it go? How did you get through all that? Well, a quick introduction to يعني, your viewers, because probably they don't have much background about uh, equestrian sport and even the equestrian people. But the pinnacle of our sport is obviously the Olympics. In football, it's the World Cup. So for us, being in the Olympics is, is quite an achievement. And we know that Sheikh Latif Al-Maktoum achieved that in 2008. And it's been a feat that uh, no one were, was able to, to achieve since then. We've been close more than once, but we know that achieving that would come from ease of course uh, it needs a lot of sacrifice support from the country from our sponsors etc and producing the goods when it matters the most and, and we honestly failed a, a couple of times in a way that told us we we need to take things even more seriously you think that's the best you can do until you're in, in a situation where someone gets to beat you and gets to enjoy the achievement of qualifying for the olympics 
there was a proper build up in 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 2019-2020. We were working on the qualification for uh, Tokyo, and we we did, I think, six months abroad, and we end up not qualifying for the reasons that happened back then. And we had that in the back of our heads coming to the lead up in in Qatar. And uh, two of the riders were actually on that team, myself and Abdullah Hamid Al Ghairi. And we tried to calm things down. We were probably the most experienced two, two riders on the team. The other two boys were a little bit younger. We tried to calm things down, take the wave as it came, and not overdo things. We know we've been competing at that level nearly in every, every weekend. It was just a matter of producing the goods in two good rounds. And hopefully luck was uh, on our way, which is, and it was Tawfiq Rabbil Alameen, Taban. But we know at, at the elite sport, you need things to, to go your way a little bit. So uh, for people who don't understand, what is that qualifying event like? Uh, because it's, it almost comes down to like one fence or one time kind of penalty time or penalty, something tiny. Yeah. So yeah. can you try and explain a little bit the challenges of the event? So f- first of all, we're uh, called Group 7 when it comes to the region. Uh, it's uh, north of Africa, uh, including South Africa also, and Middle East. So all these countries are allowed to participate. Uh, being at the Olympics, it's very difficult to, to actually have four horses jumping that level. Uh, so I think the, the countries that ended up competing were uh, six, six countries. Uh, People think it's like, well, well, it's easy to qualify. Uh, on, on a matter of fact, it's actually more difficult because th- these are the best horses, the best uh, countries that could achieve that uh, kind of results. And when, when it comes to, to Nation Cups, which that event was to, to qualify a team, uh, you need to jump two identical rounds and the best two teams qualify. Uh, for those who didn't qualify as countries, uh, have another chance uh, to qualify individually. And uh, the race is still on. I think the Egyptians are doing really well. They can uh, win a spot. And I believe Syria are also in the hunt for an individual spot. And we knew that in the last uh, Olympic qualification, I think Egypt uh, obviously qualified and participated in the Olympics. And uh, Morocco and Qatar were, were really tough uh, competitors for us. They've been doing big shows, etc. The Saudi team had recently big support and a big budget. To, to support their athletes. I think it's also in, in the whole country. So we, we knew the challenge wasn't going to be easy, but we had to our advantage in, in some sort. A lot of the horses we've ridden, we were actually the, the oldest horses in the team competition, which was a good advantage for us. We knew our horses very well. And uh, they really they, they really com- yeah, competed and participated really well. We knew the environment in Qatar would be quite similar to the environment we have in the UAE. When we did the qualification four years ago in in, uh, Morocco, it was a bit tough. It came from the summer, early in the season. Usually our horses peak more in in January, February. So all of these aspects come to us as as athletes, but also a big part of it with with the horses. Luck was on on our side, and and I think the whole plan we had in, in the setup worked in our favor. When you say jumping at that level, I know that you. It's all. It's about the height of the fence, right? Like at the Olympics, it, it, it's up to I guess one sixty. Yes, one sixty, one sixty-five, even uh, the final bounds. Uh, and that's the, the height the of the fence, and and how? So you have to build up your horse over time to get to that level, right? Yes, of course. And 
keep in mind the qualification would be something managed by the FEI, which is the Federal International Equestrian Federation. And they have to have the level as high as possible for, for these countries that qualify to, to not look like fools in all honesty, because the sport is, is very elite when, when it comes to that level. And keep in mind also in the Olympics, it's going to be every round at 160. Like usually in our normal shows, you, you build up your horses till the Grand Prix and the Grand Prix would be, would be 160. So this qualification was just a warm-up round and directly to, to, to a big 160 class. So it was quite the same environment somehow in preparation. But we know also, like once we, we qualified, that the real work would start from the day you qualify because it's like having a tough exam at, at college or at school. As much as you're prepared, but it's going to be tough and, and you're somehow faced by it, if it makes sense. I'm curious because I want to, before I talk about how you're preparing for Paris, uh, I want to go back a bit to Morocco because I'm sure that was a big learning experience as well. Uh, Morocco is when you guys were trying to qualify for Tokyo. Can you tell me what went wrong there and what were the lessons learned from there and how tough was it going through that? Honestly, everything went wrong. <laughs> with with our sport, uh, we have four four riders competing, and and we have a discard score. So the three other riders could have a good round and and uh, and count uh, as a good score, hopefully. But the week before, we we actually went to Morocco a little bit early. I did the Grand Prix in Tetuan. I actually w- went clear in the Grand Prix and then fell in the jump off. And my main horse got injured. And then another of our riders had his main horse also not in the best condition. So he had to change his horse. We know she's a solid competitor always. But she had an unfortunate fall the first day in, in Rabat, which definitely affects your confidence, etc. She's a tough rider. But, you know, at, at certain shows, you don't want things to go wrong. But for us, the slightest of margins may make a big difference. And we had our fourth rider actually riding a horse that he only rode, I think, a month or less because we struggled to get four four good horses, four good riders with the same combination. But one of his horses, his main one, didn't go well. And he had to try a new one in the qualification, which he only managed to do a show or two. And when we started the, the first round in Rabat, the, f- the first rider, Latifa, actually did well. She had only one down, but then the three of us all had two down, and we knew we were already far away from the, the, the qualification. So we know things happened, which opened our eyes to the qualification in Qatar, and we don't leave a- any stone unturned when mistakes like this happen. And keep in mind, we, we've done a lot of sacrifices back in Morocco. We've been in, in Europe, like I said, nearly six months, and we, we try to do everything uh, in the best way possible, but Keep in mind, the competition is also doing the same. And we just need the things to, to come along easily. But subhanAllah, anything can go our, our way. Equestrian in the UAE is a very big tradition. But perhaps show jumping is not the discipline that is the most popular. It's been gaining popularity, but a lot of the eyes are on racing and endurance and stuff like that. So first of all, tell me, how did you get it? Why did you choose show jumping? How did you get into it? Yeah, that was a bit of luck, to be honest. Like you said, racing and and endurance is quite huge here. Uh, The royal family is big supporters of of, of both disciplines. Show jumping at the moment is probably the strongest in the region also. Uh, I think uh, Qatar and Saudi are are close, but I I think we have probably the best league with the variety of of arenas, etc. 
But when I was younger, I was all into football and tennis. And I was a bit of an athlete who likes to run around. And one of my friends just decided horses, etc. And we didn't know even the jumping discipline existed. And he's like, let's go and try it. And it was actually close to our school, close to my house. And for me, I think the challenge of not knowing how to ride probably started me on it, like trying to learn. And then before you know it, you realize it's it's an ocean of knowledge. And it got me a bit curious. And then once you start learning how to ride on Arabian horses, I realized there is something called show jumping. So I visited one of the events in Dubai and Ned al-Shaba, the same club in Bab al-Shams in the desert, but I used to have, uh, they were used to be located in Ned al-Shaba. And I realized, I was like, okay, there's actually like some kind of a structure for a sport here. It looked also for, I would say, the elite in a way. The people who were competitive, they were all knowledgeable. They were really nice people. It was actually interesting to, to challenge yourself to go somewhere where you're not as comfortable as, as the sports I mentioned before that I knew. And yeah, we got the bug. We Then you went to the right trainers, start riding courses, did my first pony competition and it started from there and we, we never looked back since then. So you, your sport is unique in the sense that it involves a horse and you, so it doesn't just depend on you. For In any other sport or many other sports, they can say, they can blame themselves all the time or it's just, they have more control over things. Yeah, Whereas with you, there's a horse involved. Can you try and explain to me that aspect of the sport? And so if you're how a psychological is it? You if know you're how, a logical person, you'll probably stop riding. <laughs> Sometimes people even you know, say, whatever you do doesn't make sense. Uh, the risk is huge, as you can imagine. It's I won't say it's a dangerous sport like for people, but accidents do happen and then we're living with a, with with an animal that's 10 times your weight in so many cases the, the horses we ride are nearly 600 kg and it's tough to teach them to understand you without talking so it's all about spending time in the saddle working them every day try new things new environment and and somehow normalize everything you do and get the the habit of of understanding your horse on a daily basis and you go to a competition, you don't know what the course is going to be. The course designer is trying to do, I won't say traps, but challenge you and challenge your rideability and etc. And any mistake could happen. Uh, if it comes to, for example, the Olympics, it, it takes, I think, six rounds of 160. And it's that's nearly 80 jumps, 80 jumps at 160 level. Uh, in, in five days, that's a lot of jumping. Try any athletes, try doing that uh, on any given day, and, and, and it's tough enough. So just imagine a rider doing that with a horse, and uh, they obviously get tired throughout the tournament. Keeping their energy levels is a challenge. Uh, getting used to the certain uh, weather challenges you will have. Some areas are cold, some areas are humid, some areas are, are hot. The, the footing, some horses prefer soft grounds, hard ground. So the variables are, <laughs> are a lot. And like I said, you want to get that consistency level where uh, you and your horse are, are as sync as possible and get the job done and hopefully jump clear rounds. And you guys don't know the course until really like a couple of days before, right? No, no. Half, half an hour before. <laughs> half an hour even, half an right? hour before. I see you walk, I see you walk yeah. the course together, which was one of my favorite parts actually of attending shows because 
I know for you guys, uh, you're trying to get to know everything in a very short period of time, but for the people watching, it's a bit of a serene experience. So you see you guys walking together and your competitors, and I see you guys talking to each other too when you're counting. Can you Analyze. tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, exactly. Uh, people who, who would know the sport, there are single fences and there is combinations, obviously, fences that are following each other within a stride or two. And then obviously there is oxers and verticals, so that's a single jump or a wider jump. Obviously there's a triple bar, which is even wider, up to two meters sometimes, maybe even more at, at Olympic level. You walk a course, a plan that is designed by usually experts who, who have uh, certain certifications to, to build these courses. And they, they, they challenge you with fillers, uh, water jumps, uh, certain gates, light poles, light planks. Sometimes the visual aspect, also the colors they use light colors that are close enough to the sand, etc. So the, the challenges are there. And like I said, it's analyzing the, the, the course in those 30 minutes. And usually the challenges for the, the earlier riders in the list, obviously it's a random list. And for them to face this challenge, and obviously riders who go later would watch horses that they might know, and, and they might know the way Abdullah is riding if he's going early and see how did the course ride. And, and that makes a big difference. Uh, especially in championships. I think one of the things that people keep in mind when, when they're going to championships, probably the, the most experienced riders are, are the first and the last riders because the first one need to know his horse and need to analyze things quicker than the rest. And then the fourth one would be the one who would handle pressure because you, you would know by then you need a certain results to achieve the winning results or, or podium results. And that's how the game is played. It's very interesting. How So now looking at the Paris, tell me, are you guys going to go with the same horses? Are you going to try and go with different horses? How are you preparing? How is that going to work? So we're, we're trying to get everything uh, in plan in, in the right way. And obviously, the, the more options you have to take horses to the Olympics, the better. And our sponsor, Sheikha Fatma bin Tazza'an, the owner of Shara'a Stable, with the support of her father and her uncle, Sheikh Mansour and Sheikh Azza'a, they, they already, once we qualified, they, they really put a proper plan. We have our trainer, William Funnel, uh, started working uh, with us already in the Asian Games. And uh, we already purchased a few new horses that hopefully would help us uh, achieve uh, good results. But for them, I think it's how we represent our country. They support us in, in the best way. They put a plan to... Cause they know the responsibility of when it comes to normal shows, you would know equestrian people watch the world equestrian games, the, the international shows. When it comes to the Olympics, the whole world is watching and they would probably forget your name within a minute, but they remember your country because you're carrying the flag. So the whole idea is to represent our country in the best way possible, for sure. And there is a way to, to qualify the horses that you guys bought, right? You have to do... How do you yeah, qualify them? So the qualification is still open till uh, June, uh, 15th of June of 2024. We have a very good tour in the UAE. We need to compete at uh, three-star, four-star, and five-star level and get the minimum eligibility requirements through the FEI. That's three good rounds in that level. And uh, we the horses just arrived in Europe literally two days ago. And trying to get to know them, we're going to compete this weekend in EEC, in, in a two-star international show. And we'll take it one step at a time, but hopefully we get to know our horses as, as soon as possible. And the Asian Games, which concluded a few months ago, 
you the UAE as a team you guys got bronze and right and you got yes. individual bronze as well and your teammate uh, Omar Marzuki got silver, silver. How, how did you assess that competition for you and was it reassuring did you hope to do better how was it well we definitely did way better than we expected we knew we had a chance in the in the teams and uh, the whole the whole plan was to to do well there Like I said, we, most of our horses were actually uh, on the older side. It was the same group of horses, um, except one Salem Suede had a different uh, horse instead of Abdullah Hamid. But the other three riders, we all did uh, and participated in the qualification in Qatar. And it was ideally a mock-up for Paris. It was a championship and getting to know each other in, 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 in the same environment, if, it, if we may say. And it was a big challenge, to be honest. It's one thing to, to be there with a dream, but we had, I believe, 14 countries competing with us in, in the teams. Realistically, still, we thought we had a good chance. Obviously, the Olympic qualification gave us a big boost. And we were, we were equal first in the jump-off with Qatar and Saudi. So when we went to the jump-off, we knew we, we had a medal already. We ended up having the bronze medal. We really wanted the gold or silver, but uh, still it was... It doesn't take anything from the achievement. We we got a medal. That was the main goal. And then individually, we myself and Omar actually both ride in, in Ashara and, and we had the horses for a while. And, and we knew to our advantage, the, the bigger the level, the better uh, our horses should be. And they already jumped uh, three rounds uh, two days before in the Nation Cup. So, you know, we knew we had the chance. And they both jumped really well in, in the two rounds. And then the jump off, we went against five five riders. And we knew two of us won't have medals. And I went first. So I honestly didn't go as fast as I probably would if I went in the last two riders, knowing what I need to do. I, my idea was just put pressure on the other four riders, including Omar, honestly. And let's see who would handle the pressure and who wouldn't. And it made the two other riders, Amr Hamshu and Yanni Kabon from Thailand, try and, and they end up doing, getting a couple of mistakes. And I was lucky enough to, to get the bronze medal and Amr was faster than me. And, and by, by all fairness, he, he deserved it. Tell me, you've obviously been doing this a long time now. What do you consider to be the toughest moment of your career so far? To be honest, so if you're going to, do this sport at the highest level you need to accept they're going to be tough moments it's normal moment the challenges comes from building up for a championship and, and not being able to to compete because your horse got injured losing a horse to to a certain injury or sometimes a colic so you, you somehow need to accept the risk in, in in such a sport and i think one of the biggest lows was probably the, the moroccan Olympi olympic qualification when we we didn't manage to There was a lot at stake, and, and we we, did, we didn't realize how things would, would be if we qualified or we didn't qualify. But then when we didn't qualify, you, you, you feel your, your, your life crumbled on you, in a way. And that's only because you the chance of representing your country. It wasn't individual. And which made us more determined for the qualification in Qatar for Paris. And that, that was really tough, so especially for me, to be honest. It's easy to think you, you achieve things. But in our sport, I think every week counts during that week. And by next week, it's, it's a new competition. It's a, you need to prove yourself again. And, and I believe that's in, in all sports also. And uh, I would assume that qualifying for 
uh, Paris would be the highlight so far. But if we put that aside individually for you, talk talk to me about a highlight you would pick so far. What was your best moment so far in the sport? I have to say, like the individual medal in in, in the Asian Games was up there for sure. It would have been better if I was gold. <laughs> but my first uh, Grand Prix win in the UAE. Um, I actually won most of my Grand Prix before that uh, abroad. I won a Grand Prix in Saudi, in France, in Qatar, in Syria, and that all before winning a Grand Prix in the UAE and in Italy. Even it's, I never spoke up loud about it until I won it. <laughs> I was keeping it to myself. Been placed a few times, second, and it was actually a Shara show uh, with, with a horse uh, that's dear uh, to me, Sama Dubai. We retired her early this year, and I've had her for 14 years. And it was in 2019, and, and winning that Grand Prix, Henrik von Eckermann uh, ended up being world number one, was second. And so it was a proper Grand Prix with proper riders, Ramzid Dahami, Asian gold medalist, few other big names so it was a real special milestone for me and definitely individually it's it's the biggest one obviously the sport is very expensive and i'm wondering how important was it i think you started riding for al-shara in 2018 maybe i'm wrong yeah uh, how, how important was that for you to give your career a push and just talk to me about that side of the sport like how difficult it is to sustain a career given how expensive it is you're yeah. flying horses all around the world. It's it's a big deal. It's not. It's an, I don't think you can compare it to any other Olympic sport. Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's definitely one of the most expensive sports uh, on the planet. I think obviously Formula One would be a sport up there with how much they they pay. But for us to have a sponsor like a Shara and, and the vision of Sheikh Afaro, she really tries to elevate the sport not only in the UAE but around the world globally she has a brand that's globally known at the moment and uh, for her to give the time to give the chance to to locals to achieve their dreams and have her dream part of our dream is, is so special and for her to use her own money to to support us to to raise the flag it's something that uh, is very special for us and gives us huge responsibility to represent her in, in the best way possible and um, she always had that the Olympic dream in her mind. She never put pressure on us, but we, we knew uh, deep inside that something she 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 wants uh, for our country um, and for us. Uh, the four boys that that managed to qualify was a gift for her, for the country, for her father, for us all to achieve that is is something special. And have someone like you said, it's expensive in every detail when it comes to the clothing, to to the tack of the horses, to transportation when it comes to staying locally in the country and then these, these horses are, are literally athletes so you can give them a break in the summer because the weather in the UAE is, is quite hot uh, traveling the horses from one country to another is, is a huge expense and for her to keep doing that year after year is, is, is not simple she, she does it out of passion out of support for the country and, and, and she loves it we also get the chance to to ride some of her own breeding, uh, which is she, she, she likes to produce her own horses. She had so many great horses in her uh, career as an owner. And she's using these bloodlines to, to support also us as riders in the UAE with, I won't say homebred, but, but literally she, she's breeding these horses in, in, in England and in her own farm. So it's, a, it's her own product. And we're looking forward to, to achieve something special uh, and achieve her dream. 
Tell me about what your schedule is like. What does your year look like? Because there's a lot of traveling involved. And like you said, there are seasons. There's European season probably here. There's a season at the moment. What's a typical year like for you? So it's, it's easier to start seasons instead of the year because we usually start our season in October in the country. So I would say from October till March, there's a build-up for our Arab League. Sometimes we'll actually travel to Qatar, Saudi, neighboring countries to, to do the Arab League World Cup qualifiers. But most of, of the events are actually in the country. And then I would say after March, they'll have a small break and travel to Europe. And from, I would say, March to, to October, uh, the weather is quite severe for these warm bloods. Warm bloods, obviously, are horses that are bred in, in Europe to be show jumpers. And they're not, I would say, they, they struggle with the climate over here. And uh, to keep them in the best condition, they have to travel and stay in, uh, in Europe. And we usually have we usually have competitions there and, and keep them fit and build them for whatever milestone we have in mind. This year we had the world uh, world finals for young horses two weeks before the Asian Games, and then the older horses had the Asian Games. So it really depends on the year and what milestones we have. So if we're looking at Paris, you're probably going to spend like between March and July. You're going to be in Europe the whole time. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, so by, by end of February early March, I think we'll be finishing up the tour here. The horses will have a break and I believe beginning of April they, they will start the build-up for Paris. I think one of the coolest things about equestrian and also show, and show jumping is that you guys, men and women, compete together in the same competition. And equestrian is the only Olympic sport that does that. And I'm just curious, what, what, do you like that side of the sport and how unique is it? it, it, it for you, probably it's normal, you're used to it. But if We're someone's watching, it, it's not a typical thing at all. Every, yeah. Everything is so equal in that sport. So can you tell me a little bit about that side? Yeah, on top of that uh, is also age. I think uh, it's, it's worth mentioning because I think the athlete who did the most Olympics is actually an equestrian, uh, Ian Miller from Canada. I think he did 11 or 10 Olympics. So it just tells you how long your career could be. But we, like you said, we're used to it. We have ridden with, with women, girls on our team, Sheikha Latifa and Ataryam, and they're as good as the men. And we've been like one of the record holders for the most World Cup wins is Meredith Michaels Verbums with two other guys. So they, they've achieved great things at the highest level. BZ Madden won an Olympic medal individually. There are a lot of uh, women athletes. And, and we like you said, we're used to it. It's for us. It's fair in every way. Even royalty compete against us. And, and we were happy to cheer for the winner at the end of the day, whoever it is. It seems that the psychology is a very big part of the sport. How do you train psychologically? What do you, is there any mental training that you do? Do you work with a sports psychologist? How does it work? I, I think when it comes to our sport, I think mentally speaking, I think it's tough and, and you have to be strong mentally to, to achieve great things. Like I said, when we spoke earlier about the variables when it comes to the sport, and then I also train students and, and clients, etc. And, and also I think a lot of, the younger riders look up at me and, and ask for, for advice when we're at the show. And like I said, I think a, a lot of it is also being mentally strong. It also comes from experience. I can't say I, I worked with someone personally yet. Uh, it's something we're actually considering before the Olympics. 
but I, I listen to a lot of uh, OT motivators, uh, athletes and, and their stories and, and how they dealt with certain situations and, and try to upload, apply it in, in my sport as much as possible. I also listen to, to cast and, and interviews with, with a lot of riders uh, that achieved great things and, and how they achieved it. And sometimes it's about simplicity, sometimes about staying in the zone and uh, in order to achieve great things. Uh, I personally truly believe that having people that are people who love you unconditionally. And when I was actually in the Asian Games, I insisted that my wife and my father would be with me. My father is an athlete, has nothing to do with horses, but he's an athlete and he did cover that part. And remember before the jump off, he's like, you're as good as anyone. So just try and go win, win a medal. I, I watch you the whole time in, in the championship. So you need those people who would, would, would support you and, and they genuinely mean it, uh, if it makes sense. And my, my wife, literally, she's my best friend. We, we have a conversation about the sport, about how to grow. She understands the sacrifices that are coming up before the Olympics and you need these kind of people around you. It definitely gives you calmer mind, a better way to think, organize your life, even cover the distractions that, that would come your way. And like you said, in any sport, I think athletes need to be tough uh, mentally. And for me, I think experience counts for something. Lucky enough in our sport, I'm nearly 40 now. I think some other sport, they need to peak by 21, 22, 20, and, and, and that, that's even tougher than us, to be honest. Like, you, you need to be wise and smart and, and calm at the same time, and it takes us years to, to get there. What sport does your father play, or did he play, what sports did he play? He played for a long time as a footballer, and then moved to, to tennis, and now paddle tennis. So that's, uh, <laughs> but you know, he, he watches a lot of sport. And he follows me closely. And uh, me and my brother were both great athletes in, in our fields. And I think it came thanks to, to, to him and, and his support. And understanding, I think, the, what the sport does to you, even in, in, in your life, I think it opened doors to meet great characters, great uh, personalities, people we learned from. We met so many, like you said, great minds that you can learn from, from these from the, the sport and, and it's okay it's one thing to, to be educated when it comes to college etc which is very important and we all did it but I think definitely sport also you can learn a lot from you mentioned you listen to podcasts you follow other athletes you get inspired by others can you give me some specific examples of one or two athletes who said something that resonated with you or someone who just inspires you in general yeah so in, in horse riding McLean Ward I think in, so he, he mentioned an example once and he was comparing the U.S. athletes, so he, he's American, to, to the Irish athletes when it comes to riding. And he said they, they'll eat meat for breakfast of, of how hungry they are to, to learn. And it's so true. I mean, we were coming from, in my opinion, Dubai and UAE, where we're, we're, a, we're a luxury country. Things can be easily handed out to you. Let's be honest, when it comes to the sport, you need to work hard and, and, and be, you know, having... Being spoiled could, you know, think, give you the mentality that you achieve things already. And to stay hungry is something really that resonated in, in, in that interview with McLean Ward. And I was like, you know what, we need to always be hungry. And we won the two medals. And I was like, that's done in the archive. Let's think of the next goal. And athletes need to keep pushing themselves more and more for sure. That's very interesting because I'm wondering, 
h- how do you find that hunger? So even if you, it, it's something, it, I don't know, is it a conscious decision? Is it something that you manage to breathe inside you? Glass half you? empty. <laughs> Glass half empty. <laughs> I, I think that when people give that example, some people say glass half full, glass half. I, I it's a mental like something I I even mention to to my clients and riders sometimes. If you want to achieve perfection, to get to to let's say my ability is fifty percent, to get to sixty percent, the effort is there. To get to seventy percent, the effort is there. And then when you reach the ninety percent, for example, the increments gets much smaller. It's not that. 10% step. It goes to 1%, for example. You go from 90 to 91 to 92 to 93 until you get 99. And then when you get to 99, it's going to go to 99.1, 99.2, 99.3. So these details, these you never reach to perfection. But you know, once you get closer to perfection, the small details count. And, and like I said, you're never there. You have to have, there are certain things you can always fix, improve to get to that perfection. And That's how I see things only. I think it's interesting that you ride and compete, but you also teach. You must learn a lot also from teaching, right? Like training. Yeah, others. you have to do what you preach. <laughs> so when we, when I say something to my clients, to my riders, to my students, you, you have to live up to what you just said and, and achieve the goals when you're riding. We're competing in the same shows and they see me every day. And if you're saying something and you can't uh, back it up, In competition, you'll have them looking at you and you're not good enough. You're not as good as you say. <laughs> you're not doing the things you're telling us to do. So it puts a different kind of pressure. And I also find uh, it also interesting when it comes to understanding the things you're going to explain to your riders. You literally need to understand it bit by bit and explain it for someone who's actually a lower level than you. You might understand it because you're at a higher level with more experience. Uh, but for, for these riders, you have to simplify it and, and maybe increment it in a certain way that makes sense to them. So I find that also interesting. To you, you just can't just tell them do this. There's always a why am I doing this, and, and there's always a how am I doing this. How do to, to implement, implement the movement or, or get the work uh, the horse needs in, in a certain way. Looking at Paris, I'm sure you you've already imagined going to the Olympics, what it's going to be like. Is there any athlete from a different sport? That, because the unique thing about it is the Olympic Village and being around athletes from all around the world. Is there any particular athlete you'd be keen to meet or any particular sport you'd be keen to watch? I, I think other sports. I think it's the elite of the elites and it happens every four years. It's something special. I've uh, been to, to the Athlete Village in Qatar in 2006 and it was an experience. that yeah. I remember waking up like... Before dawn and, and a thousand athletes are already stretching and, and doing and it inspires you. It just tells you like you're not the only one who's working hard on this planet. <laughs> and going there and, and seeing elite sports, athletics, etc., other sports, it would be very interesting. Uh, looking forward to it. What would make uh, Paris 2024 a successful Olympics in your eyes? In a way, I think being an Arab background, I think especially in our sport, people underestimate us in a big way. And my goal is that people would see me there and truly believe we belong there, the whole team. I think it's very important to, to show them what we are made of. Uh, people don't realize this, but uh, rulers love the equestrian sport. We love the 
courses since we were kids. And they've mastered the racing industry. They mastered the endurance industry. And hopefully we carry the flag of mastering the show jumping industry and hoping that we were, were going to be good representatives to our country in the Olympics. Inshallah. Thank you so much for this conversation and for your time and uh, best of luck. Thank you. Thank you, Reem. Hopefully I'll come down to a few shows this season. We'll expect you. <laughs> Thank you, Reem, so much. I really enjoyed this chat with Abdullah, who I feel gave us some great insight into a relatively niche sport we don't get to follow too often. I personally have covered many shows in the past across the UAE and Qatar and was quickly taken by how graceful these horses and athletes are and how challenging the sport really is. Keep an eye out for Abdullah and his Emirati teammates in Paris this summer. And in the meantime, thank you for joining us and stay tuned for a very special episode with a superstar swimmer next week on Updog. To listen to the other episodes in this series, be sure to follow this channel and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other major podcasting platforms.